0: Good to see you tonight. Let's take our Bibles, if you would. Let's go over to 2 Kings chapter number 6 tonight. You're turning there, and let me just say, it's good to be back at Mount Zion. Uh, Our church is glad that you invited me. I don't know what that means, necessarily. Uh, But uh, they're glad to get rid of me a little bit, I think. But uh, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to be here. Glad for the invitation. Uh, Sometimes when there is a transition as what y'all have been through, then uh, with the new pastor, uh, there seems to be a, just a different maybe group of guys that he runs with and those kind of things. It uh, doesn't mean that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's the way it is sometimes, and there have been times when a transition happens that a guy's not invited and those kind of things, but I'm glad when I was told that Brother uh, Brian Weiss was becoming your pastor and Mount Zion had issued an invitation to him. To become the next pastor uh, i just excited about what the Lord's doing for you and appreciate the friendship brother Wise and Beverly thank you so much over the years I've probably known them better part of 10-15 years now uh, and always have appreciated them their family and just their spirit and the things of the Lord and just looking forward to the week of fellowship and things around the Word of God 2nd Kings chapter 6 you're there stand with me tonight Give you one last chance to stretch your legs before the three-hour message. My wife's over there. Don't laugh. <laughs> don't, don't go there. But no, really, try to be a good steward of the time tonight. We do want to give the Lord uh, ample time to work on our heart as we gather around the Word of God and trust that we'll be in our place every night. You know, the devil doesn't want you to have a meeting like this because he knows the potential that it can create in the hearts and lives of God's people and so that very service that you struggle with the most may be the one that God needs and wants to do something in your life and so just let me encourage you be in your place every night and we're looking forward to that which the Lord's going to share with us and teach us and work in our hearts and so 2 Kings chapter 6 tonight you reach a place look with me in verse number 1 if you would. The Bible says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a being. Let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe had fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. Our Father, tonight we are grateful to be gathered in this place. Dear Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Mount Zion Baptist Church all these years. And Father, what a, what a tremendous blessing to know that you have established this place and walked with it all these many years. But, Father, as we come to this particular service tonight, God, I pray that you'd clear my mind, my speech, my thoughts. Dear God, may you fill my lips with thus saith the Lord. May everything that comes across be exactly what you'd have. I pray, dear Lord, that you would just help us. We'd find you, dear God, to the point that you would feel comfortable in this place, and might be able to have the liberty to work in our hearts and do exactly what it is that you want done. Father, we're not interested in just coming and holding a service. We want to hear from you. So God help us, meet with us. and We'll thank you even now as we ask it together in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so very, very much. You may be seated. At this point in Elisha's ministry, we find that many of the young men in and around Israel who aspired to be prophets themselves have gathered themselves and really attached themselves unto Elisha that they might be able to um, receive the instruction, the counsel, the things that he might teach them And they have really just kind of taken on to him. And this isn't the message tonight, but I'll say this. It's still a practical Bible illustration and understanding that, ladies and gentlemen, some of the greatest things for God's people to be taught the things of the Lord is by somebody else who's been there. And there is really a principle in the Word of God about discipling and mentoring. And we find that Elisha is doing that. He's taking these young prophets and he's trying to train them in the things that they need to learn that they might be what God wants them to be. And yet as we come to our passage, we find that the place where they have stayed is becoming overcrowded and cramped. And so they come to Elisha and they request, they say, allow us to go down to Jordan. Every man's gonna go down and we're gonna cut down some trees and gonna clean those trees up, bring them back to camp and build us a suitable living quarters. Can I just say this as well tonight? I appreciate the fact that they're not planning on putting all this work on one or two individuals. But according to the passage, every man's going to do his part. Everybody's going to get involved. And the plan was for everybody to go down there, everybody to do the work, and everybody to come back and build that which is needed. I'll just say this tonight. That's the way that a New Testament church is to operate. Every member is important. And as those members are joined together, and every member doing the function that God would have it, thereby the body as a whole can accomplish that which God means for it to accomplish. And so sure enough, they come to Elisha, they request, they say, allow us to go down to Jordan, and Elisha gives them the okay, and sure enough, they go down, they begin to get to work. And verse number five of our passage The Bible tells us that one particular young man has already cut down his tree and it uses this term as felling a tree that simply means that he is cleaning it up. He's cutting off the branches, he's uh, removing the bark, he's making it to the point to where it would be suitable wood or suitable lumber in which they can build from. In the midst of all his effort and his energy and activity, we find that as he's hacking away with that ax, that the head becomes loose, it dislodges from the handle, and it falls into the river. Now listen to me tonight very carefully. Don't miss this. When that happens, everything up to that point, all the progress that has been made Stops. It comes to an immediate halt. There is nothing to continue to be done. There is no work being uh, uh, done and accomplished at that time. When that X head falls off into the water, then everything that has been done and all the potential that is to be done ceases at that very moment. It comes. To a screeching halt. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you ever feel that way in your Christian life? To the point that it seems like you're serving the Lord and you're working and you're effort and you're giving energy and you're doing that which really in your heart you believe is the right thing. It's not like you just went out on a whim and tried to do something on your own, but you really had prayed about this issue and you prayed about this matter. And it's not like you thumbed your nose at God and put your foot down and then a rebellious spirit and heart said, you're not going to tell me what to do or I'm going to do what I want to do. It's not that spirit or that attitude at all. But in the midst of you trying to honestly walk with God, You're coming to church, you're reading your Bible, you're trying to pray, you're trying to do all the things that you believe you ought to do as a child of God, and somewhere at some point along the way, it just seems like all progress you were making has stopped. And by the way, you ought to be making progress in your Christian life. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7 that we're to be rooted and built up in Him. And we ought to be on a trajectory going forward and making strides and building a life that God would be pleased with and would honor and glorify him. After all, the Bible says that men are to see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven and thereby our life ought to be on a trajectory or an upward swing where we're making progress and we're doing those things that God would have us to do. It ought to be every desire of a child of God tonight that we build a life that would honor Him. We say, well preachers, that mean we all got to do the same thing? No, we don't all have to do the same thing, but we all ought to have the same goal. And that's to glorify and honor our Lord. But somewhere along the way it sometimes seems and at one point, we were developing. And at one point, we were growing. And at one point, we were making progress. And then somehow, some way, we started to look around and realized, I'm not growing like I used to. I'm not building my life and progressing and developing like it once was. I'll say this before we move further. There's not a single one of us, I don't care how long you've been saved, I don't care what positions or titles you might hold, there's not a one of us as a child of God that has arrived yet and could not stand to go further and develop more in our Christian life. Every one of us got some work to be done. And so, I want us to look at this thought tonight when all progress comes to a halt. Because there are times in which, if you're not careful, there are times in which you've tried to serve the Lord, do what God's asked of you, grow in the things of God, and yet something has taken place. Something has happened that has brought that progress to a halt. Notice some things with me tonight. First of all, I'd bring your attention to the personal reality. The personal reality. See, if you and I are going to figure out how this happens and why it happens then we need to examine our own spiritual life and it is imperative for us to realize that ladies and gentlemen, that which happened to this young man and that which has happened in the lives of other countless of God's people is quite capable of happening in us tonight. Now let me say a couple of things as to why this happened. But before we get there, let me tell you why this didn't happen. I'll tell you, first of all, it didn't happen because of the location. You say, what do you mean by that? It's not because of where he's located. Well, you know, preacher, uh, uh, he, he was there at Jordan. I know. He knew where he was, and he had every intent. In fact, it was at Jordan where he began to cut with that axe to begin with and fell that beam and began to clean it up. He was doing quite well at one point in the same location associated with the same people. It's not an issue of his location. I've pastored long enough to have people come into my office every once in a while and say, preacher, I don't know what's wrong, but we're just not getting fed here anymore. And preacher, we're not growing like we think we ought to. And we think God would just have us to move. We need to get back home where we came from or we want to go over here and we're going to go do this and we're going to go join another church and we're going to go seek uh, our spiritual development and growth somewhere else. I want to tell you tonight, if you're not making the spiritual development and progress in your Christian life, it is not a matter of location and who you are associated with. You can't look and say, well, I just need to leave, and if I found a different church, and that kind of stuff, ladies and gentlemen, you're not able, honestly, to stand before God, and you're not making the progress that you ought to, you're not going to be able to stand before the Lord and say, well, it's the church's fault, or it's the pastor's fault, or it's somebody else's fault. That's not the issue tonight. If you and I are not progressing in our Christian life the way we ought to, we really got nobody to blame, but the Person we look in the mirror every morning it's not an issue of location. I tell you also it's not an issue of task It's not him looking at this and saying, "Wow, these trees are way too big for me to cut down there's too much to do the job's too hard there nobody else is going to do it and, uh, we just we just can't accomplish." Uh, I'm going to tell you tonight being a child of God and living for the Lord, you read your New Testament, you'll find out it is a hard issue. There's a reason 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 2 tells you and I to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There's a reason over and over and over in the Bible it likens the Christian life to a warfare. That's why we're told to put on the whole armor of God. That's why we're told to fight the good fight of faith. That's why we're told to please Him who has chosen us to be a soldier. Ladies and gentlemen, Just because the task is hard and difficult doesn't mean it's impossible to accomplish. God would not ask of you and I something that He would not enable us to do and help us to be able to accomplish. And though living for God and the wickedness around us and trying to be what God wants us to do, I just tell you, dealing with our own flesh is bad enough. But the truth of the matter is, may I remind you that Matthew chapter 19 tells you and I that with God all things are possible. And we can accomplish what God wants of us. And we can live a life and build a life that would honor and glorify Him. And so tonight it's not the location. It's not the task. He said, what is it, preacher? Well, for this young man, it was the issue that he lost the axe head. That axe head enabled him and gave him the wherewithal and the ability to accomplish that which God led him and that which he was trying to do. We find very clearly this evening That the axe head that gave this young man his ability to build represents the power and the presence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. If you and I ever do anything for God, it's not because you and I are super spiritual. It's not because you and I are super talented. It's not within our own ability or efforts. It's because of that which God working in us allows us to accomplish. The Bible says in John chapter 15 verse 5, without him we can do nothing. The Bible teaches in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 that I can do all things through Christ. Do you realize that just because we're saved doesn't mean that somehow God's power and his presence is always going to be upon our lives. Now somebody says, oh, hold up, preacher, right there. I, 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 don't you believe that once a person is saved, they're always saved? Oh, absolutely. I'm glad tonight that I'm not kept by my own works, I'm glad that my salvation, it wasn't dependent upon me, and it's still not dependent upon me. I'm glad I'm kept, as Peter says, by his power. I I wouldn't know what to do with that kind of doctrine. I mean, somebody that runs around in this life and saved one day, lost one day, saved one day, lost one day, I'd just be honest with you, I'd hope I'd die on the right day. I just wouldn't want to live that way. But while I understand that we are eternally secure, there is also the possibility to get to the point in place in our Christian life where God is not manifesting His power and His presence upon us. It happened to Samson. In Judges chapter 16, verse 20, It happened to Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Just because you're a saved Christian and know the Lord doesn't mean that he's manifesting that ability in your life. And so we find very clearly that you don't have to be a rebel for this to be true this young man. This young man is not a rebel. He's not somebody who's ungodly. He's not somebody who's what we might consider a, a cheat or any of that kind of stuff. He's not a scoundrel. I believe you and I would study this young man out and look at the context and those things. We find very clearly that he's a genuine, he was somebody what we might consider faithful, somebody who's godly. He's not like the guy in the previous chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 5 by the name of Gehazi. Gehazi went unto Naaman and tried to lie about the whole matter and get all the material gain that he could. This young man isn't that way. He's gone to Elisha. He's asked for permission. He's asked authority. He's asking him to come with him. This is somebody that you and I ought to probably respect in our Christian life, and yet things came to a halt. And I'm going to tell you if it's true to him, then the reality is it's probably true for you and I tonight. Go with me in your Bible and look in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Flip over real quick, and let's look together. Because it is possible. It's possible to be godly, it's possible to be faithful, and care about the things of the Lord, and yet have this be true in us. So Deuteronomy chapter 19, and look with me in verse number 5. It says, And when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor, to who would? And his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee into one of those cities and live. Now here's the point. Out of all the scenarios the Lord could have used in the law to talk about an accidental death, He uses this very illustration of an axe head coming off and striking somebody and taking their life. Why of all the things that he could have talked about, all the things he could have used, he used this? I'll tell you the reality is this happens probably a lot more than what they even realized. It was a common issue for them to use an axe. It was a common issue for that head to fall off and to become loose and dislodge. And I'll tell you tonight the reality unfortunately is at times in our lives as a child of God, it's more common than we would like to publicly admit that we get to the point to where we are not growing and our progress is not what we would want it to be. It's more common And so we see the personal reality. But let me also talk to you tonight about the perceived reason. Somebody says, okay, preacher, I got it. I understand this is a reality. I understand it happens. But why? How can someone who's serving the Lord and doing their best to be faithful end up with no axe head? Well, let me tell you tonight. The reason this transpires comes down to the issue of neglect. It's an issue of neglect. You say, well, how so? You need to understand how they operated with their axes in this time. At this time, at the hilt, where they would put the head upon the handle, they would often drive a wedge on the top of it and that wedge would cinch that head down onto the handle and lock it into place. And when they let that axe get dull and they wouldn't sharpen it like it needed to be it means they have to use more force. Instead of just being able to swing it and be productive at a normal rate they would have to rear back and use more energy, more force, which thereby causes that wedge to be more likely to dislodge and come loose. If you don't believe me, let me me read you a verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says this. If the iron be blunt and we do not wet the edge, that simply means to sharpen it, then must he put to more strength. And that was a common idea. It happened all the time. And thereby, ladies and gentlemen, when you neglect, now here's the point, when you neglect God's presence in your life, and you relegate that to the sideline, and you relegate that to second best, then I'm going to tell you tonight what we're doing is we're allowing our axe head to become dull and it causes more effort and more energy and more work and a lot of people today get burnt out in the Christian life because what they're doing is, it's not that they're not trying, it's not that they don't want to, but they have neglected the presence of God in their own personal heart and life. We find this to be the case. We can easily get to the point where we neglect Him. We get careless. We take Him for granted. Do you know this happened to the nation of Israel? In the wilderness, they had become so accustomed to having the presence and the power of God in the form of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They had got accustomed to seeing it, witnessing it, watching it every day that eventually as they were supposed to follow that cloud and that pillar of fire that when that cloud and that pillar of fire began to move they got to the point of where they neglected it and just got used to seeing it they quit paying attention before you know it it's moving and they're still camped and so the Bible teaches you and I in Numbers chapter number 10 that God had Moses construct two silver trumpets to blow in order to get the attention of the nation that they may not take for granted God's presence. And I tell you this evening, if we're not careful, it's easy to get neglectful. It's easy to start putting more emphasis on our service Than we do our Savior. Don't misunderstand. I'm not again. Absolutely, we ought to be serving. We ought to be active. We ought to be busy. Nobody's saying that's not to be the case. But if we're not careful, we can put more emphasis on the mechanics to the point that we are leaving off His presence in our life. I remember as a kid, my dad is a auto mechanics and been for years taught in the public schools in, in Texas an auto mechanics class and I remember as a kid dad would be under a hood be working on something and I'd come up and crawl up right beside him and I'd start looking for you know something I could do and I'd grab a wrench and he'd say well put it right here and do this or take this loose you know the truth of the matter is I didn't benefit my dad helping him as a little kid working on an engine. In fact, I got in the way. (laughs) I know you wouldn't believe that. But I got in the way. But you'd have never known it. Dad didn't care about me getting in the way. He was just kind of glad that I was there. I'm going to tell you tonight, when it comes to our Christian life, There's nothing that our Lord needs us to do that He couldn't do so much better. Did did, did that come across right? There's nothing that you and I do that somehow he couldn't do in a whole lot better way and a whole lot better fashion. He doesn't have us serve him in the Christian life because somehow he needs us and he can't do it without us. Ladies and gentlemen, he allows us to be able to serve him because a lot of times it's how we spend time with him. It's not just about the service and the mechanics and whether we do this and don't do that. A lot of times it's just that we get to see God doing something and Him use us and Him employ us into His service. We find that there's a personal reality for this young man and there's a personal reality for us. We can get to the point and place if we're not careful To where we're just not progressing. We're not growing. The perceived reason is not because we're out in the world, totally consumed with a rebellious heart and wickedness. A lot of times it's just to the issue of neglect. We're reading our Bible, but it's more mechanical than it is Spending time with our God. Oh, we're going through our prayers, but it's more of a checklist than it is a conversation. The motivation in which we do those things matters. And we find not just the personal reality and the perceived reason. And I want you to understand from this young man the panicked response. Because all of a sudden... When he becomes aware that he doesn't have what he once had, things weren't happening like they once were happening, and my friend, he's still doing the activity. He's still swinging. He's still trying to work. But it's not what it once was. Notice that simple word, alas. That word is a sorrowful word. It's a word which means excruciating pain. Hey, He stopped everything because he did not want just to continue and go through the mechanics and go through the motions. He was interested in actually accomplishing the task that he was assigned to do. Thereby, we see very clearly that he... Was w- w- really panicked here. It's a, again. It's a it's a word which is a, an excruciating pain. He wasn't content just to make it look like he was serving. He wanted to accomplish something. I thought about bringing out an axe handle tonight and show you how foolish it would look to run around and act like you're chopping things. Preacher, that would be goofy. I'm not sure it would be a whole lot more goofy than sometimes we operate our Christian life. We're busy. We're active. But are we really accomplishing that which God wants us to accomplish? I'm not interested in leading a church That just wants to go through the motions. I want to see God work in people's lives. I want to see God change sinners and make them uh, employed into the work of God I want to see God get a hold of hearts and fix marriages and get children back on track I want God to work in my own kids I don't want them just to go on and think well you know as long as we show up, as long as we check the box that's the extent of our Christianity I want my kids to see God working in their heart, I don't want them just to do what dad tells them to do I want them to do and follow the same God that got a hold of me and made a difference in my life and is worth me giving all my life for I want them to be enamored with that same God my friend we're going to have to learn that if we see and I'll be honest with you there have been times in my Christian life since I've been pastoring where I've just You know, doing the routines, doing the things, meeting my schedule, doing my studying, going through, before you know it, Lord's like, are you going to consider me in any of this? Are you going to spend some time with me? I thought this was about us working together. Since when did you start thinking you could accomplish anything? We need him. I'd ask you tonight, Does uh, this isn't, well, preacher, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that I, I've been there. I, I don't want people to think that there's something wrong with me. I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is, if you've been saved at any length of time, we've all found ourselves in this place at one point or another. And it's not about what other people think about us. It's more important what he thinks about us. So does it bother you when you look at your Christian and say, you know what, I am just going through the motions. I am just checking off the boxes. And I'm not developing my own walk with him and relationship. I- I'll tell you about my wife. My wife and I uh, this last year just celebrated our 20th year of marriage. She's put up with me that long. I'm amazed too. do you realize 20 years later, we're closer now, we know each other now, a whole lot more. I, I, we joke every once in a while. I, I joke with her as much as anything and say, you know, that's scary when you start thinking like me. <laughs> and She agrees, that's, that's a bad thing. But my point is, our relationship has developed and grown over these years. Should not our relationship develop and grow with our Savior? Shouldn't it be more tonight than what it was when we first got born again? So preacher, what do we do? I got it. There is a personal reality that this happens. Preacher, I understand that there's a reason it comes from neglect. Preacher, I I want it to bother me. I want my heart to be stirred. I I want revival. I want God to draw me closer when this week is done. So preacher, what's, what's the answer? What do we do? Let me give you tonight, if I might, The powerful recovery. I'm just going to give you three things. I'm going to mention them to you quickly. Number one, there ought to be a confession. You see in verse 5, as soon as he recognized something was wrong, he went to Elisha and did everything. Hey, this isn't right. We can't continue. We're not going to accomplish nothing. Something has got to change. And he was open and he was honest, and he was up front. And I tell you, when it comes to getting things squared away and right with the Lord, there needs to be some honesty among God's people. We so much, if we're not careful, are worried that we put on a facade and want to portray something that a lot of times is not reality. Reality deep down in our heart. And we, as God's people, if we're going to see Him work within us, if we're going to see His power and His presence and know that He's pleased with that which we're doing, then it's going to start with an outright honesty. This is where I am. This is what I'm dealing with. You you read, you read the Psalms and read David's Psalms in particular and how open he was, how honest before God. Psalm 142 especially says this, David's story. He says, I poured out my complaint before him. Just everything that he felt, everything that was going on, where his heart was. The Bible teaches that we're to be sincere in sincerity. That, that idea is very honest and open, forthright before the Lord. This week, as the Holy Spirit of God begins to point His finger and puts His thing, finger on some things in our lives that need to be dealt with and need to be changed and need to be fixed, I tell you, the only way that starts is with honesty. That confession You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We like that verse. We like the results of that verse. But that verse is only a reality when we do what is started and it says, Confess. Not just, Well, Lord, you know, please forgive me. No, confess some things. We need to be open, we need to be honest let me give you the second thing not just confession but I'd also tell you there needs to be a concession so what do you mean? in verse number 6 the young man was willing to go with the master and do what the master told him to do he was yielded he was willing to do whatever Elisha Elisha tells him go get a stick put it in the water I don't know what went through this young man's mind but I know probably what went through my mind are you kidding me we're wasting time why don't we jump in the water and just find it and get it and drag it out I mean I I would have had it all mapped out and how to do it and that kind of stuff but that's why God doesn't often ask for my opinion (laughs) And the truth of the matter is we're going to learn to have him and we're to be yielded to Him. We're to be surrendered to Him. Whatever He wants. Whatever it is that He asks. To recover the access and the presence and the power of God in our life, it takes a confession. It takes a concession. I'm willing to concede to whatever God asks. Whatever it is He wants... Whatever it is that he's wanting from us. And then let me tell you the last thing is this. It takes a commitment. God told him to do something. He wasn't just willing to go and say, Well, I see what you say and I see what... No, I'm not willing to. Now, do you realize when the Bible says in Romans chapter 12... Verse number two it says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you realize surrender is not about God showing you the plan and laying out things and saying okay now you make a decision. The issue is about you telling God you'll do it and be committed to it and then him showing you which is the next step. Do you realize you may not ever get the whole plan? There may be things that God does that you don't understand, that you don't grab a hold of. There may be moves, there may be things, there may be uh, issues that He asks of you. And it just me say, well, Lord, I'll do it as long as I want to. As long as it meets my plans. Interesting study is Joab in the Old Testament. Joab is a man to whom as long as David asked Joab to do something and Joab Joab's will lined up with David's will Joab was okay. He'll do it. But the moment that David laid a command out and David's will went against Joab's will Joab's will, one out. Tonight, it's not about our will. It's not about what we want. It's about what he would ask of us. And we conceding and being committed to that which he. Would want us to do. I don't know about you. But I don't like to get down. The road of my Christian life. And feel sometimes along the way. That all of a sudden I'm here by myself. I don't like to look around and think. Well where has he been? Where is he at? I do like it. When I'm walking down life's road, step and step with Him. And knowing He's right there, He's pleased, He's honored, He's leading, He's calling the shots. Tonight, we can get to that point. I'm not above it, you're not above it. We can get to that point where progress comes to a halt and we're not growing and developing and continuing in our Christian walk. The reason is neglect. We just simply got busy, got distracted, lost focus. wonder tonight if it might press upon our heart. God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to leave you behind. I don't want to do a whole lot for you and nothing with you. There's a difference. There's a difference between just doing things for God and doing things with. But the great thing is, is our God allows us to recover, allows us to get back on track and on that project, trajectory like we need to be. If we'll confess, we'll concede and we'll commit to whatever He would want. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed tonight. Listen, I don't know where you are in your Christian life. But I do know this, when your pastor came and called me several months ago and talked to me about coming, this passage was almost immediately laid upon my heart. As I look around the room tonight at God's people, I don't see what I would project as a bunch of rebels who want to thumb their nose at God. I don't think you'd be here tonight if that would be the case, to be honest. But I do see people that probably somewhere along the way just kind of got off track. Your development, your progress hasn't continued to grow. You've come to a halt. I wonder this evening,